Hello and welcome back to our podcast. So it's been quite some time I haven't posted anything because MCO we're starting to like get used to life around. So yeah, we are back with our podcast, first podcast after MCO has been lifted. So today we invite Unyi. So he's actually one of the coolest names actually. Uh, so he's a lecturer at Utah and we're just going to be talking about online classes and also college right now. Is it worth it anymore actually? So before we start, Unyi, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, so uh, my name's is Agun Yi. Uh, I have a PhD, but I, I don't tend to introduce myself as uh, Dr. Eng. La. You know, when you say doctor, is normally someone who's a bit more uh, useful in an emergency situation. So I've been teaching at Utah since I got my PhD. I think it's eight years. Uh, eight years now? Yeah. And I, my degree and my research qualifications is in engineering. So I teach engineering subjects. Um, I teach artificial intelligence, which is probably the most oh, interesting okay. thing for, 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 for people who yeah. just see from outside. And yeah, I'm quite involved uh, in academia. That's all I've ever done professionally. All right, all right. Okay, so, uh, okay, we're going to have a just rough look at what we're going to talk about today. So sure. we're going to talk about the good parts of basically how everything has been moved online, um, less traveling, we don't need to go so far to classes, we can just stay at home in our comforts. And also a lot of the main issues that people have uh, regarding this online classes and especially the fees. All right, so let's let's just talk <laughs> yeah, about <of> let's <laughs> talk about the good parts first. So first sure. of all, I hear a lot of people say it's comfortable to have online classes at home. Like I can just sit here, like my bed's right over there. I can just wake up in the morning. Last time I class at eight, I can wake up at seven fifty and still be on time for class. But is it the same way for lecturers actually? Well, okay, so. Um, my university, the campus is in Sungai Long, uh, which is almost towards Kajang, and I stay in Subang Jaya. So my typical commute takes 45 minutes to one and a half hours, depending oh, if, wow. my, if I'm dropping my kids off at school or, or what on that particular day. So that time is definitely, uh, definitely saved. And so in terms of just getting to and fro, that's the time that is uh, saved. But in terms of comfort level, um, the benefit of being in a dedicated premise is of course that you are able to have a dedicated premise. I have a classroom, I have an office and things like that. So uh, teaching online has its advantages. I really enjoy not having to drive, <laughs> but you know, um, like I just had a class uh, earlier today and while I'm having a class, uh, my son is having his class next to me. So unless we have like a multiple room mansion, there's going to be gifts and takes. So right at the start, yeah. I apologize to my students saying, Hey, sorry, uh, you can hear my son with his Chinese teacher. Uh, I can't really uh, avoid that. I'm trying to minimize it, but the, the time clashes, so there's nothing much you can do. But in terms of traveling, yes, that's much better. And there is a comfort from being home. I haven't been able to see my boys and my wife for such a long, continuous time since like forever, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so for lecturers, actually very comfortable, but let's say for students, we say that it's more at ease to talk to the lecturers uh, online because we, we feel like we're not getting judged. Like when in classes, when we, let's say, ask a question, then usually we are scared to ask a question because we're scared our friends to judge. But what I've heard is that online, people are more willing, more open to ask questions. Has that been the case, actually? Um, in my experience for my students, not very much so. So uh, there's always multiple ways to ask a question and it's not only uh, live in a class 
in in the culture at my university, there's always this few normally male students sitting in the first or second row who will ask the physical questions out loud. Uh, but there'll be more questions that come after the class. So when we go outside the class, I will always hang around, and that is when most of the students will ask because they are a bit shy to ask uh, directly. So now that that has gone, and that is replaced with people sending me WhatsApp messages and uh, messages in Microsoft Teams. Um, I think generally, it's always possible to ask a question as long as you just get to the asking part. So most people will think of questions, but whether they actually whether the question actually gets to the ears or the eyes of the lecturer, uh, that one is the first step that needs to be to be taken. And I don't think it makes much of a difference whether it's online or not. People might feel less shy, but even f- uh, in a physical class, you can actually just approach the lecturer individually. You could have sent an email before. Uh, now it's just expected that you will send an email or an online message because everything is through that. Right, but even right. previously, it was possible to, to do that. I think for Malaysian students as well, part of how uh, we grow up is that um, we, we, we see asking questions as a challenge to authority and mm-hmm. that I think is a bet- bigger barrier and that doesn't go away just because right, we are yeah. doing things online. Yeah. So it's still there, there's still, the, there's still people who usually don't speak up and they still don't speak up right now, right? Uh, yeah, so the majority of a Malaysian class is not going to speak up. That's what my, my experience has been in like about a decade of teaching. Uh, there are always those few who do. And that probably has to do with their family environment at home, whatever it is, just their self-confidence level. The majority do not. Um, and I think it's, it's, it hasn't changed very much. What has changed is where the students would chat with each other in class previously. Now that chat tends to move online. So my practice in my class is I am teaching, which means I use an audio feed and everybody is muted. But there is a chat feed within Microsoft Teams and the students will be chatting with each other over there. I, I don't really look at that because there's quite a lot of things happening. <laughs> they'll post memes or whatever during the, okay. the class. I'm fine with that. So I think there is a bit more freedom there. And because there is a bit of relaxation there, so other students tend to join in as well. All right, all right. Yeah. But in terms of directly to the lecturer, I think it's about the same. Okay, okay. So, all right, that's enough of... let let's say the easy things that we have during online learning. So now the yep. hard part that we come is to the main issues which actually counts to the fees. So there's this, <laughs> there's this big issue that should universities decrease their fees during this period when we study at home, right? My point of view is that I don't get why university cannot bear the cost for the students because what we pay for is for the, for the university experience. We go there, want to meet friends, join events, and also at the classes, uh, in the classroom with a lecturer face to face but moving online is not our i mean it's not like our fault that we have why should we bear the cost of university to maintain their facilities that's like the okay. main issue yep uh, anything else to add before i try and deal with that uh, i think we'll play around with it first i think that that's okay. a, yeah that's about it yeah so um, that obviously there's different uh, perspectives that we have to see. But when we talk about fees, it comes down to money. When we talk about dollars and cents, uh, it comes from somewhere and goes to somewhere. So perhaps uh, you can either look at uh, any economic transaction as being um, payment for certain things which are rendered. And, and we can have a discussion on what is it that you're actually paying for. But you can also look at the, the cost for rendering uh, such a service and these are not normally very matching 
So from a perspective of a student, as you have said, you pay for a campus environment. You pay for uh, being able to attend together with friends to have events. The university is not just about classes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and there is definitely a difference between a physical class as well as an online class. It is not the same thing. And therefore, I, I totally understand that students who feel, hey, um, if I'm not getting the same thing, why am I paying for it? But the flip side of it is the reason why you go and get this uh, degree or diploma uh, qualification. Actually, if right. If we wanted... Wait, um, just to cut in yeah. a while. I'm, I'm not saying that we should... Okay, I think we should still pay for the classes because you're still paying the lecturers, which they do teach you. But I'm just saying, why should we pay for the facilities Yeah, if uh, there's some miscommunication there? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. definitely. So... So, okay, so facilities don't go away uh, when there's online teaching and, and learning. And definitely the university saves in the sense of not having to run that air conditioning and lighting. But this is where I think um, there might be a bit of a mismatch in expectations on how much these things cost. Okay, so um, the majority, and it's not a huge majority, but the majority of the cost of most uh, teaching courses is the salaries of the lecturers. It's not like 90 or 100%, mm. but it is the majority of the cost. So within the short period of time for COVID-19 and, and things like this, uh, definitely there is no change in the fac facilities that are built. They have already been built. The cost has already been paid. There's only a change to the operational expenses in terms of the electricity usage, which is the primary thing um, which goes down. The flip side of this is that the university also now suddenly has to invest in different types of uh, infrastructure. Most of the universities would not have had proper e-learning infrastructure which would allow for full conduct. So up to now, most private universities or public universities, they have e-learning infrastructure, but it's limited because the expectation is always that the primary thing is, uh, is physical. Now suddenly, everybody has had to buy and pay money for new infrastructure to be able to cater to students. And this is the responsibility of the university. It is something that the university has to do. So in terms of the cost, I don't know how much the costs have changed for the university, but I know that in my university's case, because we are relatively an affordable, uh, affordable university, um, we are definitely not looking at reducing the fees, even though there's been a request from the students. Because any significant reduction would result in a loss of income which would be more than the expenditure that the university makes, right? So yeah. that, that is from the, that just a pure cost analysis. Of course, if a university is set up to only be online, mm -hmm. then they can be much more cost efficient, okay? But then it, it goes, go back to the other question. What is it that we are paying for if we go to university? And the experience and all is very good. Uh, definitely, it has the primary motivation. But when it comes to utility, the main utility you get from a university is you get that qualification, that piece of paper, that certificate, because that's the one that unlocks doors in terms of employment. And that's why most of you go to university. I could talk a long time about history of university. This is not why a university exists. But right. the practical thing is the reason your parents pay through the nose to come to university <laughs> is so that you can get that job. Yeah. Okay? And in that sense, that will still be delivered to you, even though there is a difference in expectation. So I'll share a bit of a personal story. When I signed up for college, um, my mother brought me to see the admissions officer and we already, I already decided, I'd done my research, I want this course. And so my mother would be talking and asking questions because I was the one doing the research. So she was, had some questions about the university. Right. Uh, okay, um, how's the lecturers and stuff. I only had one question though when I went there. 
um, how good is the basketball court? <laughs> you know? And, and my mom was not happy with me for asking this. This was, a, of course, quite a while back. But right. I think, yes, we go to, uh, we look at facilities, we look at the experiences that we get, and these are important. But the practical utility you get from the university is that piece of paper. So mo- that's why most universities, by hook or by crook, they're trying to make sure their students are able to graduate, are able to get that piece of paper. Because yes, we can talk about, yes, the learning experience, you are going to be better at this, you are going to be um, more capable. But unless you get the paper, all of that is cream, not the main cake. Alright, so the main reason why universities don't, even for our facilities, they don't bear the cost is because they are actually a for-profit organisation, right? Okay, so... Definitely most private universities, which most of the people listening to you will be, they are for profit. If they do not make a profit, after I, and let's be honest, even though they are for profit, I know that most private universities are running break even, as in some of them are losing money. There are very few that actually make huge amounts of money. That's why most of them are linked to property companies and things, those with enough financials to stand by. I was listening to a, a radio interview about a year ago from... Uh, KDU okay so so this guy from KDU and what he was saying is basically if you can't get 5,000 students you are not going to make money there is a volume which is required so education is profitable but like most things you need a particular volume and a lot of private universities can't really hit that especially in the last few years when um, there has been a decrease in birth rate about 20 years ago for Malaysia so we have seen numbers drop uh, in my particular case my university is not for profit which Internally, we joke. it's different from non-profit. We do make a profit, but the profit doesn't go anywhere. It's savings for the university because eventually you build a campus and things. Right. So we have slightly different priorities, but yes, profit must still be made because money must come from somewhere. Okay, so that explains why universities still ask us to pay for the facilities we don't use. Yes, yeah. because uh, they most still of the universities, the, they, right? yeah, the, most of the universities, they don't break down the cost in such a way that this is like I think my, my previous private university that I, I studied at um, they charge like a hundred ringgit uh, for the semester in terms of what they call lab fees mm-hmm. now that is not the fees for the lab right and most universities I think they would happily waive that when my fees that I was paying was at the, at the time I think I was paying uh, 13,000 for the semester or something so what, what is that hundred ringgit actually so that 13,000 actually pays for the facilities as well but most universities do not give that breakdown because up till now, it has just been part of the studies, right? Now, perhaps this will motivate more, um, more costing in terms of how much do these things cost. But I wouldn't bet on it because I think most of these universities are just trying to get through this period and fingers crossed you get back to something more normal. I'm not sure how many want things to continue. I don't think anyone thinks to continue the way that they are because they are stuck as well. So there is no point pushing for a decreasement in fees or any facilities. I mean, we can try, but it's yeah, very so, high. Okay, so definitely, um, it will depend where you are studying. Uh, some are making a huge profit, mm-hmm. some are not. And I think it's not the job of the student to worry about the university's profit. The students can push for it, but what is the leverage that the student has? I mean, when you're talking about business negotiation, the leverage you have is you have are, are you willing to say, if I don't get this, I'm going to stop my studies. 
And if you are not willing to do that, then you might understand that yes, you can make noise and most universities will listen to you because they want happy students. But that is the decision which will force universities to listen. Where students just say, I will stop my studies. Of course, there's the whole idea of sunk cost and most of you do want your degrees in the end. So understand that the power of the student in this case is a power of being able to speak, not necessarily a power of being able to force. And it's up to the university of how they want to listen. So in the end, it's a negotiation, but you are not necessarily negotiating as equal partners. Ah. Okay. All right, yeah. So I guess, yeah, <laughs> that explains. Uh, definitely. And I think the university is a training ground. Um, the same thing will happen when you are working in future, uh, that there will be certain things which are unfair on employees compared to employers. And how you work together because no single student is going to be able to do anything. How you work together, how you organize, these are important skills to learn. It's not just about doing your job, it's also about how you build such a community. If every single student in one voice came to a university, they'd be much more likely to listen than just one or two students. That is why there are student associations. Of course, most students take the student association as, hey, let's have some fun. This is just organized fun events. They yeah, that's have a the purpose actually. That's the problems because we, we actually so I heard that they brought it up to the student council, but they apparently didn't do much about it. So yeah, so it student council, yeah, they, most universities have student councils. How are they selected is by a vote. Generally, we are democratic. Which we, sometimes we don't even know that they are having that vote. Yes, most are not bothered about the vote because you, in Malaysia at least, you rely, of course the university will take care of me. I pay money to them, right? We don't have a culture of organizing. Uh, which is different from, let's say, uh, Australian universities where if they are not happy with the something simple, cafeteria food, mm -hmm. then their student council is strong enough to organize, we'll boycott. Every student must boycott and we will bring in outside food for that one week so the cafeteria makes no money to try and force the cafeteria to, to increase the quality, lower the price. Right? This type of organization is not encouraged in Malaysia. It used to be encouraged back in the 70s and 80s but because of politics, uh, because this organization leads to political organization when, when you get into real life politics. So this is something which is not very much practiced in Malaysia anymore. I feel like uh, Malaysians, we are a bit tidak apa lah. I mean, if yeah. it doesn't really affect you a lot, I mean, you will fight for it because yeah, you save a couple hundred bucks, but it doesn't affect you that much, then you're just like, ah, it's okay lah. Yeah, no, so not worth the trouble. It, it, this is a level of comfort because uh, all things considered, economically, we are quite a well-off country and therefore we are quite comfortable. Um, there's no do or die type of situation for most of the students. Uh. Yeah, right, right. Okay, thank you so much. That, that wraps up, I think, the fees part. We've gone quite yep. in-depth on that. Um, now moving on. Okay, we didn't talk about the fees, but quality of education is definitely different. Face-to-face -face and online classes. So let's say online classes. Actually, I have two different classes which have two different, I feel two, I feel differently about these two different classes. So one, I really, okay. really like going and there's one I'm just struggling to stay. Oh. So how, how, I mean, lecturers who, let's say some of them, they're not prepared to give this kind of um, online class because not all lecturers are going to be used to giving online classes and they are, what you call it, the quality is going to be different. So what can universities do about it or what can lecturers or students do about this? Okay, so um, you have asked a few things there. Uh, first, I think everyone would acknowledge that there is a difference between uh, different lecturers. And this is nothing to do with whether it's online or offline. Even when it's offline, there are certain classes where the lecturers are engaging 
and there are certain classes where the lecturers are reading from the slides and not engaging. And it's not even directly correlated with the quality of the lecturer. They might be very, very good at what they do. They're just not as good at uh, imparting it to the students. So that difference in quality is always going to be there. The difference now is that when... And you must understand that all this online learning is brought about by COVID-19. It's not something that's been uh, prepared for. And therefore, all the teaching staff are being thrown into it uh, without much preparation. No university has had time to do uh, in-depth training for their, for their staff. Okay? They might have like certain courses which are also conducted online. These are the best practices of how to do online. Um, certain universities may provide e equipment. Most do not. Uh, some of them now have opened up that you can go back to your office to do things because not every lecturer has a computer with a webcam, a very basic requirement. Not every lecturer has reliable internet. So the same problem that the students have, the lecturers, some of them have. Okay, so I'm fortunate that I'm of a slightly younger generation and I'm comfortable with a lot of the technology involved. Uh, but as you all know, your lecturers come from various generations and those that are perhaps the age of your parents, uh, they would have a lot of technological issues as well. So that comes to, of course, you're not directly paying the lecturers. It's the university's job. And so the universities tend to have uh, initiatives to try and help the, the, the staff to prepare. But there is a limit to how much they can do. And that's mainly to do with time. If COVID-19 continues for like, I mean, fingers crossed this wouldn't happen, but let's say two years, I think you will see the overall quality improve because universities are interested in their students being happy, generally speaking, not ready to riot. And to do that, they will put the initiatives in place, but these take time. Universities have had the capability to do online classes for years already. Now they are forced to, and they are not ready because generally academia is not an area where we see oh, let's change the way we do things. It's very much a very conservative area where, okay, this, has, this is the way that it worked. When I was studying, we were still using like OHPs, right? And everybody else was going to projectors. We still used OHPs for my, uh, for my teaching because some of the older lecturers, this is what they are familiar with. This is what they do. So if you have a good lecturer, even if they are not technologically familiar, they will improve. But it will take time and you will see that some there's a limit to how much they can do because this is not what they're capable of. Okay, okay. But I feel like Malaysia's, uh, what you call it, our internet coverage is very spotty in different areas. Like for example, my area, I'm, I'm still living in the city, but like my house has very, very spotty reception. But at least I do have reception. But let's say some students, they come from outstation and when they go- Yeah, like they the one from Sabah, right? Yeah. Climb into a tree, yeah. <laughs> so when they go back to their hometown and- how how does university cater to these students? Less? Like, how do they have classes also? Okay, so um, this is a question of access, right? Uh, and you are right that actually even those who are in the urban areas do not necessarily have good uh, connectivity. Yes, that's true. The thing is, from a, so I'm, I'm from engineering, from a technical perspective, good connectivity is wired. I mean, there's physical reasons for that, but good connectivity is wired. And Malaysia has actually done relatively well in that sense. Okay, um, Unify has just pushed out. Everybody wants it to be faster. But I think back in 2010 or 2012, Unify was the fastest uh, number of deployments, not per capita, just in the world. Fastest number of deployments because we had this big push to get everyone online. Even now, our broadband connectivity is, the, I think, second highest in ASEAN behind you-know-who, that annoying country down south. <laughs> right? So 
there are certain things we as a country do well in connectivity but there are definitely those who are left behind and frankly there's a limit to how much the university can uh, cater to this it's not so much of an issue in the wealthier universities because they tend to have wealthier students it is the public universities who really have problems um, with this so what can the universities do this is actually beyond what the university can settle if there's no internet there's really nothing much they can they can do except opening their hostels so a lot of public universities have hostels where there are such facilities right. and allowing the students back but that becomes a health ministry directive can we have all these students staying in the hotel which is why when the MCO was being relaxed there were instructions that certain students can stay if they are not able to have connectivity at home okay. so the government also has a role here, here to play much more so than the university now from a university perspective so as a private university my students generally have internet but some of them don't have good enough internet to attend my class okay so in that case from my university's perspective there's instructions for the lecturers you have two classes running basically you have to pre-record every single thing mm -hmm. and you also have to do a live class so effectively it's I wouldn't say double work because it's the same thing repeated but double time definitely I record my lectures and then I go to class and I teach my lecture the reason it's recorded is because some are not able they don't have the connection to stay connected to a full lecture right. the reason we have a full lecture is because uh, of what you mentioned earlier you need the experience you need the back and forth communication that yes. cannot happen with recorded right so that is how my university is dealing with it I think it's similar for most private universities Mm -hmm. Again, they want the students to be happy, but there's a limit to how much they can do. All right, all right. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. So, yeah, um, quality. Now about assessment. So, now universities <laughs> are starting to grade the students. Like, I joined my course because it was 60% assessment, 40% final exam. But now... And now it's, it's 100%. It's 100% assessment. I mean, it's fine for me. I like it. Uh, but there's a lot of students been complaining. I do better in finals exam. I do better memorizing or let's say... And now this assessment has pulled down my grades. This is why I joined certain course because of the percentage. How, how do you like, how, what's your perspective on this? Well, okay, so as an academic, um, generally we are not very fast about individual students' uh, results. Mm -hmm. uh, first class honours, second class honours, barely passed. Uh, frankly, after your first job, the only difference is do you have that degree or not? So I'm from engineering. You are an engineer, you are an engineer. First class engineer, second lower engineer, there is a slight difference, especially the first job you get. But after that, experience matters more. Most, uh, in most cases, this is the case. So of course, as students, marks are very important. And I don't want to downplay the importance of marks. But in the longer term scheme of things, having marks of one grade higher, one grade lower doesn't make a huge difference. Okay, I'd be more concerned about whether you are able to learn what is necessary to learn than whether the assessments are totally fair to a certain type of student or another type of student. So for those who prefer exams, uh, I think most of the private universities, even though they are talking about assessments, not all the assessments are the same as your normal assignment things. right? There will still be certain online quizzes, things which is more exam type because there are certain types of knowledge which is suitable to be assessed using these exam types, using a quiz, using a question. Certain types of knowledge are better to be assessed using an assignment. They, you want to do some research or something. But knowledge on how to do calculations or something in engineering, how uh, to yeah. write out your accounts and stuff, that is the same whether it's an exam or whether it's an assessment. 
right? So those are still tested. So it depends similarly. on which course you're taking only now. Yes, and I think you will find an improvement because in March, when everybody suddenly had to change, I know in my university, we were rushing. We already had all our final exams ready. Then we had to throw all of it away. And oh. we had to do the right replacements at the last minute. Normally, we take months to, to, for, to process all this. We rush it in a matter of a couple of weeks. Right? So as, as the staff get used to it, and as the universities put procedures in place, because the job of the university is to put those procedures, then you will see that there's a bit more uniformity within each institution. And you will see as well that um, it becomes more similar to what we had prior to the MCO starting. Okay. So now it's more of just that everyone is just reacting to what's happening right now. and Exactly. Okay. So there is an argument to be made that uh, generally we were not sufficiently prepared for something of this nature and that yes, you need to be prepared for eventualities. But I think the, the fact of it is everybody assumes things will go the same way and will continue. It hasn't in this 2020 year and so <laughs> people are rushing to, to, to make up for it basically. All right. Okay, okay. Okay, just, just uh, I mean, it's quite, it's been, it's been quite serious for the like past half an hour. So, yeah. Uh, how, how do you know whether your students are paying attention in classes? Ah, no, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so online teaching is slightly new to me as well, even though I'm very interested in technology. It's just not something that we do. I mean, we, we teach in class. So, I know the student will click, enter, probably take, type, good morning, sir. And then he will go and have his breakfast, have his coffee, start taking out his Nintendo Switch and playing. <laughs> this does happen, and we know it happens. Um, as lecturers, so to be very frank about it, it does not affect me. The education I am providing, if you want to drink from the water or not, that is up to you. But of course, we still care that the students perform. So um, my brother, who's also a, a lecturer, what he does is he makes sure all students turn on their camera, and you can't force this, of course. So if your camera is not on, he will ask you questions. Right? If your camera oh. is on, then he'll assume, yeah, you're listening. If his camera is not on, then, okay, uh, Elton, uh, your camera's not on, can you answer this question? So these are just soft techniques to try and get people to pay attention. Um, I don't do that in my university due to class size and the relative age of the students as well. But uh, what we are doing on online classes is we have more activities. So... I know Kahoot gets a bad rap. Uh, I also don't see the point of having that annoying music playing. But I do have uh, activities where the students will have to participate and to give their suggestions, vote for something. And if you have that fairly Just regularly... interactive. La. Yes. And this is not about education already. This is about presentation. Because being an educator in an online world is basically you need similar skills to those who are doing Twitch streams and things like that. We are even using some of the same software, right? Mm -hmm. so, so some of those skills we have had to pick up. Um, I've been fortunate that there's various uh, online seminars and things which I've gone to to, to learn uh, how these techniques... And we, we, if we make things fun, it's good for us, it's good for our students as well. Having said that, some students are just not going to be there. They have something better to do or they have to take care of a sibling. And I think that is understandable. Education is not about us forcing the student to learn at the pace that we prepare. We will provide the education, we will assess. If the student is not paying attention in the class, but he's going to, through the recordings or he's doing his own readings and he does well enough to pass, then I am happy because my objective is that the student learns, not that the student listens to me. That, that's ego, not about education anymore. Okay. Well, that's, that's really good. <laughs> because, okay, what if, 
I mean, some lectures they don't turn on the videos also, and it's yeah. Just so some lectures they just show the show the slides and talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I did that in the last trimester semester, uh-huh. and it's 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 the normal way to do things. I think you will see a lot of lectures doing that, but in my opinion, it is not ideal. And again, this okay. this shows how much the initiative of a lecturer matters. The university cannot force the lecturers to turn on webcams. They can recommend, but the only way to force is they must buy webcams for every single one. And if you've seen webcam prices in the past year, they have doubled because of the huge right. demand and there's just not enough yeah. production, right? Not every lecturer has a laptop which has a built-in webcam. And frankly, I have a laptop with a built-in webcam. I can't use it. It's just horrible. The quality, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yes, so, so, so I, I have to set up uh, a different camera. Not every lecturer can do that. So yes, it will okay. be good for education, but it depends on the resourcefulness of the educator, and ideally the university will support it, will provide the the facilities. But okay. frankly, right now the universities are rushing to provide the basics. All these quality of life things, uh, you probably have to wait a while, and most universities are trying to work towards getting the students back. My university, our aim is January. We want everyone back in in January. We want back to normal. If no, things right. get bad again, then then there will have to be a rethink. But that is what we are working towards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the second last question before we wrap things up. Yep. Um, so my lecturer actually said this joke. Like now he feels like his earphone is fused to his ears, <laughs> um, and I feel like having classes online and like listening to audio like this. It creates fatigue. Like I cannot go four hours or like three hours classes because university classes are generally this time, this um, this length. So does that re- the, the fatigue really factors into uh, teachers' let's say curriculum or should should like now with online classes we have shorter classes instead? Hmm. Uh. Okay. So not even about online classes. I think because in academia we we do a lot of research, but we don't necessarily act on that research the way we should. Uh, I think it's quite clear psychologically that humans cannot pay attention more than twenty minutes at a time. It is not possible. The reason mm-hmm. why your classes physically in the campus are one hour or two hour blocks is simply because there is this the rooms and we need to allocate the rooms. It is not about whether you are able to pay attention for two hours. You cannot. You can only pay attention yeah. up to twenty minutes before you need a break and come back. Okay. Fortunately, most of the lecturers at the speed they go, you can afford to drop out for ten minutes and you won't miss very much. You have to do revision anyway by by yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but I would say for students not to have the idea that you have to be paying attention for a full two hours. It's okay to look away as long as you come back. Now that doesn't mean take out your 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 handphone and start playing I don't know Pokemon Go for an hour <laughs> while your lecture is going right I mean that, that 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 that's ridiculous, but having a bit of a distraction, and coming back when you have not missed too much, most of most subjects that I know of, that will be fine. You won't lose out. It won't cause you to mm-hmm. fail. And this is also about taking care of your own uh, ability to to learn. But I think it comes yeah. da- down to. Uh, rather than trying to force yourself to pay attention, you should be focused on what your objective is. You want to pick things up, so some of it you pick it up by listening, some of it you pick up by reading, some of it you pick up by doing the assignments and things which are necessary. So it it comes together as a whole. The lecture is just one part of it. Definitely, yes, it's very boring for the lecture as well to be having hours after hours of class, but that's because the classes need to be scheduled. 
Imagine if each oh, class okay. was scheduled at 15-20 minutes gap and how many different classes there will be to juggle around. Now actually with online classes, that can be possible, but our universities are built for one hour, two hour sections. So I don't see that changing in our traditional universities. If there's a new university structure which is purely online, then that can be considered. But, and yeah. I think most of you would realize if there was an online only university, even if it was much cheaper, most of us would not go to it. There is mm-hmm. too much missing in that. It can be a good alternative, but not a full replacement for the face-to-face contact, the assignments where you sit together at a table and you shout at your group members and get things done. <laughs> like that you probably can learn certain, certain things, but not the whole package there. Correct, la. yes. The, the experience of university is as important as the information. Frankly, we are now in an era that information is not really that crucial. You can find it. What you need Mm -hmm. to have is the experience to know how to sort your information, how to find your information. And that is done by experience of being told by by, by your lecturers, but also the experience of doing it. Especially in engineering, we have a high focus on you must do, you must try, and then you see what happens. Okay, I think that that works a lot for every other subject also. Like, practically, you learn a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, depending on the area like uh, medical students they have a lot of theory to get to before they even get to practical but that's that's a very specialized course Mm -hmm. okay okay alright so before I wrap it up just one last question sure Um, are colleges worth the price they are now at since that uh, considering everything that's happening right now is it still worth the price because this has always been uh, an issue everyone has been asking especially as of now a lot of people are questioning whether should you go to college or not. Okay, so um, I think it depends very much on which college and which field. Uh, it is not possible to be a professional in most fields without having an appropriate degree. You cannot be a doctor unless you are trained as a doctor. Engineer, lawyer, even accountant to an extent. These are all professions which are gated. Now, you can right. argue about the merits or the ethicality of gating based on a particular... But you must understand the purpose that universities serve. Uh, Historically, if you want to be in a profession, you are trained in that profession by current practitioners. Universities are the outsourcing of that training because companies have to be efficient. They have to use their money efficiently. It is more efficient to not have to train someone and to hire someone who is trained for slightly more compared to hire someone for cheaper and then you have to invest the time and the effort to train them. This is true for most of the professions and that is why if your, if your aim is to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, you will have to have a degree. Now, that doesn't cover every case. The majority of students going to, to uni are not necessarily in a professional course nor are they in a course which requires a degree. Even those in professional courses, like I'm in engineering, my classmates selling insurance, um, doing finance, things like that. Right? And IT especially, a lot of us go, in, go into that. The thing is, you don't know. And so your degree is both a key to a particular profession as well as some time taken to figure things out. Would you be better off working first? Perhaps. At least if you count purely financially, perhaps. But there are a lot of professions where you can go to a certain level and then without the paper qualifications, you find yourself, um, basically, this is your glass ceiling. You're not, not going to go past. So I would say that the special case of where you are going to be an entrepreneur, a businessman, mm. running your own business, then perhaps it makes sense not to go to college. 
of course that assumes that you know what to do that you do not need the training and the and the experience that a college education in let's say business or finance will give you there are benefits yeah. to this course and if the courses were free definitely you should go for them because learning is always important improving yourself that's what learning is now mm-hmm. that comes to the second question is it worth it and whether education is worth it or not is always a cost benefit analysis if you are going to a public university paying what 2000 a year financially is always worth it that's a very minimal cost if you are going to a private university and that's why they spend so much on marketing they have to convince you is worth it and that's why i would say i would not comment on any particular private university but it's their job to convince you right and that's why they come up with all these advertisements these brochures very nice things so if you are not convinced definitely you should decide how to spend your money but i would say that from a working perspective definitely there are certain like in my in my case if you want to be an engineer in engineering field you got no choice it's just which university you want to go to how much you're willing to spend right mm-hmm. for for those with a bit more option especially those in the artistic fields um your portfolio is always good but from what i know of those of my friends who are studying in the artistic fields the things that they teach are also things that you don't necessarily you're not necessarily able to pick up even something so artistic as a music performance you think oh mm-hmm. i can just perform and listen but the the grind of the theory that they teach you which can be boring is also something that is useful so the universities do provide a useful service whether it's worth it requires a cost benefit analysis and at 17 i'll be honest most people are not prepared to make the analysis which is why it is outsourced to the parents to make the analysis for them okay so actually going to college now is more of to bide your time so that you can know yes, what you it want it is a rite of passage because as a society we do not necessarily prepare most of our young people to be able to um make their own decisions reliably at 17 years old in a sense is yeah. pushing off the decision time because i feel like for myself also the decisions i make at 17 is so much from when i made 18 and especially at that time that your decision changes a lot definitely uh, because you grow 18 to 21 you are maturing a lot at that period of time yeah okay okay all right so that's i think i think that wraps it up for our session today um thank you so much it's almost an hour so <laughs> yeah welcome no problem thanks for coming on the podcast um, yes so anything that unyi said just now is purely his point of view so we just have to get that straight right yep obviously yeah so till next time um thank you unyi and yep. we we'll see you guys Arten. in the next podcast okay bye-bye. see y'all bye bye